The following sermon is from Redemption Bible Church of New Braunfels, where we are proclaiming the authority of God's Word without apology, in order to fulfill the Great Commission in the spirit of the Great Commandment. Amen. Amen. Turn in your copy of God's Word now to Mark 4. Mark 4, verse 1, is where we find ourselves in our journey through the Gospel of Mark, through this series answering the question, Who is this? Man, who is this man? That's right. And the journey for the, through the first three chapters has been quite a ride, hasn't it? It's been quite a ride as we've seen this high-impact ministry of the Lord Jesus. Mark pulls no punches as he uh, explains and lays out for us Jesus' uh, first days in his uh, uh, itinerant ministry. The impact of his ministry has pretty, been pretty explosive, hasn't it? It's been explosive, and the response to Jesus' message has been varied. We've seen all kinds of various responses. The crowds love him, don't they? But the Pharisees hate him. The crowds love him, but the Pharisees hate him. The demons flee from him, but the disciples follow him. His family thinks he's crazy, The scribes are going crazy because of what he's teaching. The response has been varied. And up to this point, really, Jesus has, or Mark, in describing Jesus' ministry, has really laid out the impact for us, the power of what he, uh, or the, the response, or the fruit of his, of his teaching, but he's shown us very little of the content of Jesus' teaching, hasn't he? Like, we don't have the Sermon on the Mount. Mark doesn't include that for us. We just get the, 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 the nuggets there that Jesus is teaching with authority, Right? People are in awe. We see people being healed. We see people responding in various ways, but we only have a little bit here until today. We get a little glimpse into the actual content of what Jesus is teaching. We get a little bit of the content as to the actual message or the sermon that Jesus was teaching in the form of a parable. But even this teaching is really interesting because the teaching that's included here in our verses today is Jesus' commentary on the response to his ministry, on the response to his teaching. He lays this out for us. The passage before us today is is commonly called the parable of the sower. Are you familiar with it? Have you read it before? It's better uh, probably titled the parable of the soils. The parable of the soils, because the sower and the word is consistent, but the point of this parable, the point of this teaching is actually on the various conditions of the soil that the seed falls upon. And what Jesus is teaching us here that in, a, in a summary fashion is this, faithfully broadcasting the gospel yields various results. Summed up in this, in this uh, parable here in Jesus' explanation of it is this summary statement. Faithfully broadcasting the gospel yields various results. If we want to put some action to that, we can know that when we faithfully broadcast the gospel, we can expect various results. One of four here. To broadcast means to sow. It means, to, it means to cast, it means to, to plant. That's what broadcast, not like TV broadcasting or anything. Um, but it's what it's called when they're sowing the seed. So let's get after it now. Turn with me uh, to Mark 4, verse 1, and I want to read the first uh, nine verses for us as we behold the word. Behold the word. Listen now as I read these verses. Again, he began to teach beside the sea. 
And a very large crowd gathered about him so that he got into a boat and sat in it on the sea. And the whole crowd was, get, was beside the sea on the land. And he was teaching them many things in parables. And in his teaching, he said to them, listen, behold, a sower went out to sow. And as he sowed, some seed fell along the path and the birds came and devoured it. Other seed fell on rocky ground where it did not have much soil and immediately it sprang up since it had no depth of soil. And when the sun rose, it was scorched and since it had no root, it withered away. Other seed fell among thorns and the thorns grew up and choked it and it yielded no grain. And other seeds fell into good soil and produced grain growing up and increasing and yielding 30-fold and 60-fold and 100-fold. And he said, he who has ears to hear, let him hear. Behold the word, beloved. Behold the teaching of Jesus here in this section. To behold means to think deeply. It means to stop and consider what is being taught here. It means to chew on it. It means to take it in and ponder, to, to think hard and long on what is being taught this is really countercultural to the way that we intake information today, don't we? We, we? we breeze through newspapers. We scroll through our news feeds, don't we? We skim. There's even like news sources called the skim. We just seem to be too busy, and so we just take in information in a very quick, rapid way, and it doesn't have very much impact. It's just kind of in our eyes and out our ears. And yet, so often throughout the scriptures, we see this word, behold. And as Jesus begins to teach this parable, he tells us, behold. And whenever you see that in the scripture, I just want it to be like a stop sign for you. You can even, if you're writing in your Bibles, you can underline it, maybe you can make a little, what are stop signs, are octagons? Maybe, no? Yes, octagons, yeah, yeah, sorry. I was trying to think it out. But you can draw a little octagon, a stop sign. Let it be something to say, stop. I need to linger here a little bit. What is Jesus teaching? We must behold the word. Jesus is teaching here in this passage, again, beside the sea. It's a common place, right? A common, uh, a common classroom, a, co a common gathering place that Jesus is teaching the crowds. This time, as opposed to the time we saw in the last chapter, he's now in the boat teaching from there. Remember in the previous passage when Jesus was teaching, the crowds were pressing upon him. They had the getaway boat on the sea so he could get away. Now he's just out there. And the people are, are just crowding towards him. They're right on, on the edge of the beach, eager to hear uh, what this man has to say. And there's some strategy for being there. He could be up and elevated and his voice could be carried uh, with the, the, the air across the sea and up onto the land so people could hear it. But he's beside the sea. He's on the boat. And look, it says that he was teaching them in verse two, many things in parables. Parables are simply comparisons. They're like metaphors. They take a uh, kind of a common uh, illustration, a, a significant uh, uh, picture, word picture, and it makes a, a spiritual point to those that are listening. And so Jesus is employing this. He is teaching in parables, and in chapter four here, we see many of them. We have one before us, but next week, or in a couple weeks, rather, we will um, continue looking through the rest of them. But he's, he's teaching them in this manner. 
And so you can, you can picture the scene with me, can't you? As uh, we just read it here, but picture a section of land very similar to the Texas Hill Country. Right we're here where we live, it's a, it's similar topography, it's a similar climate, uh, the earth and the ground with the, the rocky soil and limestone everywhere and thorns and thistle, thistles and a very thin layer of topsoil, amen? Like all you who are gardening and have backyards and all that, you're like, yep, that's, uh, that's what we got. You know, you think you have a nice lawn here and then you stick a shovel into it and what usually happens, chank, right? And the land of Israel is very similar. Very similar climate, very similar topography to here in the Texas Hill Country. And so just picture that in your, in your mind as we think about this passage. Very similar section with uh, paths, uh, walking paths that are kinda uh, maybe uh, in you know, strategic ways or maybe they're cutting right through. But what would those, the, the soil be like on those paths? Hard packed, right? From lots of foot traffic. The soil and everything is, 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 is almost concrete hard after the rains come and then the suns beat down, it is like concrete. And then there's certain sections that, um, that appear to be fertile, right? They have a little layer of topsoil on it, but right underneath is one of the, is maybe a big shelf even of limestone. And then there are other sections that look good, but just beneath the surface, there are other seeds in the soil, seeds of thorns and thistles and other you know, unwanted or even invasive species of plants. And then there are the sections of soil that are, that are deep, that are lush, that are fertile, the lower points where, where the, 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 the soil and the nutrients have gathered there to where there's some depth of soil and richness of nutrients in it. And so just picture that in your mind. There's various things there. And now picture a farmer in those days, likely with a, uh, with a, a, you know, a sack maybe slung over his shoulders or around his waist full of some seed. The seed, you know, maybe picture in your mind corn, just those nice golden nuggets, you know, or some, or some wheat seeds or something. And they're there. And picture the farmer or the sower walking down the path, sticking his hand, taking a handful and broadcasting it just walking down the path, handful after handful, throwing it as he's going, broadcasting the seed, those seeds falling as the Lord would have them on the various types of soil. And so what happens in an agricultural sense? As he takes his hand and he broadcasts them out, some would fall there on the path. Bounce off the, the concrete hard soil, and, and as is common there, the, the birds knew. The birds knew when planting season, when sowing season was about. And they would be behind him, and then as the farmer is walking along, those birds are right behind him, and man, they are just getting their bellies full. So they're just picking up that seed. And some seed falls in the, in the, in the shallow soil, some seed falls in the thorny soil, and yet some still fall in that fertile soil. And you've, you, we just read the, 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 the parable here, and so some, as it goes and falls into the soil, and it appear, appears to spring up, but then those hot summer suns come, and because they have no root, no moisture is held there, that hot sun comes, and that plant withers away before it bears fruit. And there's still others that, that, that then fall in the thorny soil, and they, they, they are able to get some roots, but mixed into that soil are thistles and thorns, and so uh, simultaneously those things grow up together. But what do those thorns do in those thistles? Begin to just choke it off. Hiding the sun from it, and eventually maybe even wrapping itself around. Stealing the nutrients from the soil. That those seeds and those plants wither away and fall to the ground. 
And then there are those that fall into the good soil and they reap an abundant harvest. Do you see that there in verse eight? 30-fold, 60-fold, and 100-fold. Do we have any farmers in the house or anybody uh, from that? I mean, that is an insane yield, especially in those days. What they would expect, a a typical yield in the harvest time was probably about six-fold to eight-fold. If they got a 10-fold harvest, it was a fertile season. And so this is shocking, a shocking harvest. 30, 60, 100-fold, it's unfathomable. It's unfathomable in their minds. Behold the word. Behold the word of God. Do you have ears to hear what Jesus is teaching in this parable? Are we beholding the word of God? Are we, are we in God's word? Are we hearing it? Let's be people who hear God's word, who behold and who linger, who, who see uh, parables like this and think deeply upon it. See, we can't do what we don't hear. We can't live in light of what we don't know. And so James 1, rightly warns to, to not be uh, just hearers only, to be doers of the word and not hearers only, but we can take it too far if we neglect to hear from God's word. If we neglect to behold the word of God. If, we, if, if all we are doing is skimming through just the verse of the day. But let us be people who behold the word, who behold even difficult passages like this, who not just do, but hear also the word. But why did Jesus teach like this? You know, what does it all mean? Why, why does he, he teach in metaphors like this? And his answer is in verse 10, because see, if uh, you're confused today, so were the disciples. They heard it. Those that were his closest followers were confused as well. Let's be people that benefit from the word and read these next few verses. Look with me at verses 10 to 13. And when he was alone, those around him with the 12 asked him about the parables. And he said to them, to you has been given the secret of the kingdom of God. But for those outside, everything is in parables so that they may indeed see, but not perceive. And may indeed hear, but not understand, lest they should turn and be forgiven. And he said to them, do you not understand this parable? How then will you understand all the parables? See, after we behold the word, let's benefit from the word as well. After his teaching of this, the disciples now have him alone. Do you see this? Like he's teaching the crowds and then we get this little snippet here. The disciples, uh, one of them gets brave enough to ask and they're like, okay, Jesus, what is this all about? You know, like, we're, we're totally confused. We thought you were teaching about, like, spiritual things, and now you're, like, an agricultural professor. Like, what's, uh, what's, what's, like, what, what's this all about? Like, uh, we're, we're confused. And Jesus is like, I'm glad you asked. I'm glad you asked. And he begins to lay out, then he doesn't explain it yet, but he puts before them the purpose of parables. And parables really do two things. The reason he does this is, to, is, is for two reasons. The first is to reveal spiritual truth to believers. He teaches in parables to reveal spiritual truth to believers, those with ears to hear. And look at verse 10, it says, or in verse 11 rather, he says, this has been given to you. To believers, we have been given the ability to understand God's word. Do you realize how awesome that is? 
Do you realize how awesome the gift of comprehending, of understanding God's word really is? One of the greatest gifts that we've been given. Why? Because we've been given God's Holy Spirit to help us. We've been given God's Holy Spirit that has opened our eyes to behold wonderful things from the word of God. And this is a great gift, beloved. If, we, if you're a believer today and God's spirit resides in you, you have been given an immeasurable gift in your salvation, this benefit of being able to understand God's word. And now he, he says it kind of odd, doesn't he? He says, you've been given the secret of the kingdom. So what's he referring to? He re- this, this isn't some like Gnostic mystical weirdness, okay? Like we have this like secret code now, you know, he's like, well, here you go, disciples. If, you know, if A equals one and B equals two, and if you add up the first letter of each word of, you know, the Greek text, then it adds this. And it's, he's not talking about weird stuff like that, okay? What he's saying is you've been given the secret. You've been given the understanding. Literally, like, you know that I am the son of God. I am the king, and I am here among you. You've been given the secret, See, we benefit from it because parables teach believers spiritual truth. And so he uses these uh, common illustrations to make uh, poignant spiritual points to those who have ears to hear. And this is a great gift for we who believe that, have a, that can spiritually understand the person and work of Jesus Christ and the truth of the scriptures. The truth of the scriptures. But the second purpose here, look what he says in verse 12. He says, he quotes Isaiah 6, and the second purpose is to conceal spiritual truth from unbelievers. It's to conceal spiritual truth from unbelievers. And in quoting Isaiah 6 here, he says, they can see it, but they don't perceive it. They hear it, but but don't understand it. Because if they did, there would be evidence of fruit of a changed life in uh, in the way that they live. And so those that have no ears to hear or eyes to see these parables really conceal that. They see and hear without change, without understanding, without fruit, without even wrestling with what does this mean. And beloved, verse, verse 12 here, this quotation, Jesus is saying this, this should really frighten us. This should frighten us as we, as we examine our life and we realize, you know, I've been sitting in, in, in Bible classes my whole life. I've, gone th- I've been in church my whole life. I've gone through Awana and Sunday schools and all these things, and, 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 and I don't understand any of it. I don't have any desire to read it. The, the fruit of my life hasn't changed one bit because you see and you don't perceive and hear without understanding, and, and if, if hearing the word isn't leading to understanding and doing, then what does that say about the condition of your heart? God's word is living and active. It changes us. As we, as we hear the scriptures, we should, we, should, we should be changed, not always just this like supernatural, monumental change every time we open the pages of scripture, but its effect should be obvious as we are taking one step after another, growing in Christ-likeness, saying no to more and more sin, and being transformed. And if those things aren't happening, should be frightened. Turn to Christ. And turn to Christ who will always bring those who seek him near.
Say, I want to understand. I want to be changed. I want you, Christ. And let me offer some encouragement to those of you who do believe and yet are discouraged when you do open the scriptures because you don't always understand it. You don't have to raise your hand, but is anybody like that? I mean, I find myself in it. I read some passages in the Bible, and I'm like, what in the world does that mean? You ever find yourself in that spot? And so don't take this too far. If you genuinely believe in God is at work in you, don't, don't lose heart, per se, because you find the scriptures hard to understand. I mean, actually, let me, let me just encourage you with this passage. If, you, if you're in your Bible, turn to 2 Peter chapter 3. This, hopefully this will encourage you. 2 Peter chapter 3. It's towards the end of scriptures. If you get to Revelation, go back a little ways and hit Jude and the Johns. 2 Peter chapter 3. And hopefully this will encourage you if uh, you find the scriptures difficult to understand. And you're like, I am, I am hearing it, but I don't, I don't understand. He says this, 2 Peter 3, verse 14, Therefore, beloved, since you are waiting for these, be diligent to be found by him without spot or blemish and at peace. So we're, we're, we're diligent. If you're walking with the Lord today, be, be diligent. And he says, and count the patience of our Lord as salvation. Beloved, isn't the patience of God our good? Right? Like that God is slow to get angry. He's patient with us. Isn't that, isn't that great? But he, he, look here at what he says in verse 15. Just as our beloved brother Paul also wrote to you according to the wisdom given to him, as he does in all his letters when he speaks in them of these matters. There are some things in them that are hard to understand, which the ignorant and unstable twist to their own destruction as they do the other scriptures. There's two encouragements in that section of scripture. One is the fact that even in the early church, Peter and the others recognized Paul's writings as a holy scripture. It was affirmed later by, uh, throughout the church history and things, but even here as Paul was writing, you know, the apostle Paul, he wrote uh, Romans through Philemon, those letters there that Peter and the others acknowledged these as scripture. That's encouraging. But second, take encouragement. Here's the apostle Peter, you know, the guy who like was with Jesus for three years, who was present here, you know, he's not named necessarily, but he's hearing this parable of the sowers. He spent his ministry, then he was an early church guy. He's writing his own uh, books of the Bible. Here he's preaching and thousands are getting saved. And what does he say about certain sections of the scripture? They're hard to understand. <laughs> so if you find the scriptures hard to understand, the encouragement is... You're in good company. You're in good company because even Peter did. And, and here's the reality. Understanding the scriptures, benefiting from the word, is both a gift that is given to us that is empowered by the Holy Spirit and as a result of our hard work to study the scriptures. And so God gives us that gift and, and then we uh, roll up our sleeves and we benefit from the word. We get to work. And so if you find yourself discouraged in this, take heart, take heart, because it's, it is harder to understand. And the scripture is vast, it's infinite. You can study the words of this for the rest of your life and never get to the depths of their impact and power and application of it. That's what, that's what, this, is, this is what fuels, just kind of, a, it's like a commercial here, this is what fuels why we do public curriculum in our, in our small groups. Because as we preach God's word, as, we, as we, we need to behold it, we need to benefit, we want to go deeper in our understanding of it and broader in the application of it into our lives. 
And so as we benefit, as we want to hear and understand and put it into practice, live out to be diligent, to be found spotless and blameless, living in light of the powerful work of God, that's what we want to happen as we go throughout our week. Not just here uh, listening to Mark 4 in the morning and then like, you know, by four in the afternoon, we can't even remember the passage I was preached that morning. Like, let's behold it and let's benefit from it as God intended his word to bear fruit in our life. And so the benefit is understanding. The power is in the fruit that is born. And so if you found it hard, if you're unsure of what Jesus is teaching here in this first section, go back with me if you haven't to Mark 4, and let's pick up Jesus' explanation of it. To bear fruit in the word. He explains the parable. Let me read it now for us. Mark 4, verse 14. The sower sows the word, and these are the ones along the path where the word is sown. When they hear, Satan immediately comes and takes away the word that is sown in them. And these are the ones sown on rocky ground. The ones who, when they hear the word, immediately receive it with joy, and they have no root in themselves, but endure for a while. Then when tribulation or persecution arises on account of the word, immediately they fall away. And others are the ones sown among thorns. They are those who hear the word, but the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches and the desires for other things enter in and choke the word, and it proves unfruitful. But those that were sown on the good soil are the ones who hear the word and accept it and bear fruit thirtyfold and sixtyfold and a hundredfold. This is God's word for God's people. You see now the explanation. You see Jesus in his kindness giving the the explanation of his parable to his disciples then. They were confused. What are you you talking about here? And he lays it clearly out for them. The sower or the farmer is Jesus. Here in this passage, and every faithful Christian that faithfully proclaims the word of God. We, as believers, faithfully sharing the gospel, are the sower or the farmer in this passage. The seed is the word, more specifically the gospel. The gospel in this passage. Now, I would say there's probably broader application from this, but but here, most specifically, it is the gospel. And so we, as faithful Christians, we are the sower or the farmer every time we take God's word and we cast it. We proclaim the good news of Jesus Christ on how men and women and boys and girls are saved. What is the gospel, beloved? Do you remember? Do you remember? Could you boil it down into a summary statement or some summary things? You may remember this from a few weeks ago here. I just gave you five kind of points to remember to help you uh, remember what the good news of Jesus Christ is. The gospel begins with God is holy. That there is a creator who is perfect and righteous in all he says and does. He is before all things. He created all things. He upholds all things. He will be around after all things pass away. God is holy. He is blameless. There is no imperfection, no sin found in him. God is holy. And he created us. And yet we as human beings Uh, full of sin, that sin separates us. See, we are not holy. We're messed up, jacked up, broken up people. And that sin separates us from holy God. See, as holy and just and righteous and perfect, none who are uh, not those things can be near to him. 
And so our sin separates us from him. We cannot be in relationship with him and we cannot get ourselves out of the predicament we find ourselves in apart from help. And where everything changes is that Christ stood in our place. God is holy, but our sin separates us. And so what is the only way out of that? was for a man, was for God himself to come and live the life that we could not live and to die the death that we were supposed to live, the very truths that we remember very vividly this Easter season. That Christ stood in our place willingly for the joy set before him. He endured the cross, despised its shame. He stood in our place and did what we could not do in order to bring many sons to glory. That's what Christ did. He stood in our place. And we get in on that. We get in when we repent and believe. When we say, when we recognize our sin, we repent and say, I don't want this life on my own. I realize I cannot be in a relationship with God apart from Jesus Christ and what he's done. I believe that there is a God. I believe that he is holy. I believe that he is just. And I believe in what Christ did as my substitute, as my ransom, as my redemption, as my way to be justified, declared right with God, as my way to be adopted into a family, that Jesus was my introduction into this grace. And we repent and believe. And we are then thrust into newness of life. Into newness of life, a new life here and now as we live differently than when we once lived before we were saved. We live differently than whatever is the current you know, pattern of sin, what is socially acceptable. When we live different in newness of life now with also great hope and expectation for a newness of life that is yet to come in glory. This, beloved, is the gospel. This is the seed that we love that as we who are believers took root in our heart and has produced this flower of faith in our life. And it is that seed, it is that gospel that we faithfully broadcast to any who would hear, knowing that the results may vary. So the sower is Jesus, any faithful Christians, the seed is the word of God, and the soil, what is the soil? The soil is our, it is the human heart. It is the human heart. And there, as we've seen in this passage, there are four different responses, aren't there? There are four conditions here that Jesus lays out for us. The first is one on the pathway. This first condition is one of cold indifference, isn't it? Look at verse 15 with me. Here's the ones along the path. The word is sown. When they hear, Satan immediately comes and he takes away the word that is sown. This is the unbeliever. It is the stone-cold, concrete, hard heart of an unbeliever. That once the gospel is proclaimed, those kernels just bounce off like a seed upon a hard surface. This is tragic. Just so hard. I'm sure it's, maybe if you've been walking with the Lord and you've faithfully proclaimed God's word, you've encountered those with hard hearts like And apart from the miraculous work of the Holy Spirit, that soil will only be tilled up. There's a second response here, isn't it? One of counterfeit involvement. 
This is the rocky soil in verses 16 and 17. We could call this person a make-believer, a make-believer, whereas the pathway, the one of cold indifference, is quite clearly an unbeliever. Here among the rocky soil, this seems to have the appearance of being a believer. They hear the word, they receive it with joy. This is great news. This is great news and gives some appearance, maybe makes some initial kind of, of, of changes in their life, but then when life gets hard, see you later, Jesus. There's counterfeit involvement. There's no root, and so they endure for a little bit, but then tribulation, persecution, especially for being a believer, you know, the ridicule of family and friends, uh, that once they see the changed life, and they're like, oh yeah, this is just a fad. This, this will pass. Give, give him, give her a month or two. You know, give him to, to the end of the year and, you know, we'll, we'll have our, 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 our son back. We'll have our mom back. We'll have our friend back. And persecution and tribulation, ridicule from our family and friends, they, they, it arises. It's like the hot sun upon a shallow-rooted plant. It withers and dies and goes back the way that it was without bearing any fruit. This is a make-believer. The third condition is one of competing interests. In verses 18 and 19, the thorny soil, another make-believer as intermixed in, into their life as are these cares of the world that seeing the gospel, the good news of Jesus as just something uh, Jesus offers, this will make my life better. Oh man, I could just, if I just add a little bit of Jesus, if I just uh, sprinkle, you know, my plate with a little bit of this flavor, it'll make everything better. And then when the demands of following Christ, when the cost of what we must give up to follow Christ uh, come to play and compete with getting rich, complete with, or compete with becoming popular, the whole Jesus thing just kind of goes away. I'd rather be rich than follow Christ. I'd rather be popular than follow Christ. I'd rather do whatever than follow Christ. It's one of competing interests and before it ever bears any fruit here, it proves unfruitful. It is choked out, cast away because of the competing interests. See, beloved, the fertile soil here, the good soil that receives the gospel is one of confident assurance. It is one of confident assurance that bears extravagant fruit. And look what is, what is marked by this genuine believer. It is someone who, look here, you wanna know, if, like, if, you're, if you're looking at your own life and wondering, am I a Christian? And you can use this even as, as you're trying to discern others. Are they, are, are they truly genuinely believers? You can use some of these markers here. Remember, God alone knows our heart. So we can't make you know, eternal judgments in these ways, and only the Lord can. But if you wanna look at your own life, if you're wondering what are some evidences that, that genuine believers give, these verses give us them. They, they show these tests here. Look, they, they hear the word. Look at verse 20. The good soil are the ones who hear the word, who behold the word, who are regularly sitting under it, and then who accept it. Who, who benefit from it, who, who receive it, not just kind of in like this easy believism, like, oh, I've accepted Jesus into my heart kind of thing, although confessing Jesus as Lord would be another fruit. Nobody apart from the Spirit of God can say Jesus is Lord, 1 Corinthians 12 says. 
And so confessing Jesus here, but those that accept it, that accept its authority and power and place in our life, that accept God's word as for what it really is, the good news of Jesus Christ. If you want to know if you're a believer, are you hearing the word? Does it have authority in your life? Are you, are you following its commands as best as you know how with joy and delight? And then are you bearing fruit? Look at it. Hear the word, accept it, and bear fruit. This is some pretty extravagant fruit, isn't it? This is a radically changed life, and some of us have some pretty radical testimonies of complete 180s, of, of lifestyle that are kind of caricatures of unbelievers and walking out of that and now following the Lord. And some have, you know, maybe uh, less flavorful testimonies. And yet, if you are saved, your testimony is the most powerful story of God's grace. You're a trophy of God's grace if he has saved you, no matter what circumstances, no matter what your life looked like prior to following Christ. Are you bearing fruit? Are others knowing? Others seeing the fruit? Look at the implications of these other things. Here's, here's, what, uh, here, here's just very uh, straightforward for us. If, if you're a believer here, if you're bearing fruit, it will evidence and one of the ways it evidences is that you persevere to the end that you persevere to the end that you endure through difficulty see there is an element that we are saved you know and it's a past event but we have to make it to the end and praise God for the grace for his spirit for the body of believers around us that help us make it you don't have to do it on your own. Your salvation is not just under your own power, your own gumption. It's a work of God's spirit and the help of God's people through the direction of God's word that we make it to the end. Amen. Beloved, let us bear fruit through, in and through the word. Let us be a fruitful people, faithfully casting the word of God to those that would hear. Let us be a people that, that believe in the power of God's word. Let us be a people that are bearing fruit that remains, that are growing in our Christ-likeness. You know, in, in, in teaching this parable, Jesus intended that those who heard it would examine their heart that they would take stock of, well, what does my life look like? Am I, uh, what impact has the gospel had on my heart? Am I coldly indifferent to this? Am I just have some like counterfeit involvement? Do I have competing interests? Or do I have the confident assurance of what God has done through Christ in my life? You know, and as we enter into Holy Week, there's no better time than now to, to take stock of these things. To, as, as we remember Jesus last week before his death and resurrection, let us be the first to open up our hearts before the Lord and say, where am I in this? Am I one of these make-believers? Am I an unbeliever? Am I a believer in bearing fruit? And as we do, then let's, let's depart from here. Let us be a people of the word of God that, that, are, that are inviting people to come and join us in worship, that are inviting people that, that we are praying for our family and friends that they would have fertile hearts for the gospel. Beloved, let us hear the word, accept
accept the word, bear fruit in the word for the glory of Christ. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. Let's pray.